was talking to somebody who who worked at a, a suicide hotline, and they had said that they had a caller who called in through a proxy, so it was untraceable. And so that kind of negated all possibility of them following up. And so they said that conversation was maybe the most constructive they'd had because the, the speaker felt unfettered by the consequences of what you might say. Hey there, my name is Sean and this is Suicide Noted. On this podcast, I talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories. Every year around the world, millions of people try to take their own lives and we almost never talk about it. We certainly don't talk about it enough. When we do talk about it, many of us, including me, are not very good at it. So one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations, hopefully better conversations with attempt survivors. Why? As you probably know, our goal is to help more people in more places feel a little less shitty and a little less alone. That's it. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com on Facebook or Twitter at SuicideNoted. And please check the show notes. There you will find additional ways to contact us and other ways you can participate or support the podcast. Maybe you want to volunteer. Maybe you know somebody who wants to hire us. Maybe you want to become a member. Who knows? Check out the show notes. Everything's there. And if not, message us and we'll get back to you. Special shout out to Tegan and Kayla. Both are involved, participating, supporting the podcast. However you are involved or participate, support, we really do appreciate it. So thank you. I should add that the membership is currently half price. Till the end of March. That's only a few days away. So if you want to help us out in that way, that would be great. I promise you, we need the help. And finally, we are talking about suicide on this podcast, as we always do. As the title suggests, please take that into account before or as you listen. But I do hope you listen, because there is so much to learn. Today, I'm talking with Bryce. Bryce lives in British Columbia, and he is a suicide attempt survivor. Bryce. Hello there. What's up, my friend? Oh, the glory that is Saturday. You feeling okay? Uh, these have been rough times. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for reaching out and finally figuring out a way for us to meet and talk about this thing that a lot of people don't talk about and supporting the podcast and doing this and listening and all that other good stuff. So uh, why are you are you seemingly somewhat comfortable talking about this topic? Not entirely sure that I am. That's to be determined, but I uh, don't often get the opportunity to, at least not where the listener is not constrained by social mores or, or legalities. So that's that's probably my motivation here. You're speaking my language. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you for that. So far, nobody's reached out to me from any uh, legal or other institutions saying what I'm doing is problematic. So let's hope that continues. I'd like to believe um, within the law and more importantly, within moral and or ethical boundaries, but uh, you know, you do the best you can. How did you find the podcast? Because usually you'd have to look for it or something like it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I typed just suicide into my podcatcher, which is Stitcher, and yours was the first that came up. Oh, that's good to hear. Natural follow-up question to that is, 
why did you put that particular word into Stitcher? In times where I'm going through difficulties, uh, I often want to feel some sort of connection and that's kind of absent in my life. So I either turn to literature or podcasts or anything where I'm hearing people who have perspectives and experiences akin to my own. Um, yeah. And that night, yeah, I found yours. And so I'm assuming, um, and this is probably not unlike almost every community in at least North America, there's probably nowhere to go in person where you can have this kind of conversation safely without obvious potential negative consequences. Not to my knowledge. And that yeah. strikes me as a bit of a gap. Doesn't it? It's it's bizarre. I, I've yet to quite figure it out. And they may exist, but uh, I'm I'm not aware. I, uh, you know, there's a handful of things online or on things like, you know, uh, uh, WhatsApp. So it's better than nothing. But g- given how many people are completing suicide, attempting suicide, and the impossible to measure on that path, you would think there would be uh, a whole lot more resources there was a there was something I heard recently. I was talking to somebody who who worked at a, a suicide hotline, and they had said that they had a caller who called in through a proxy, so it was untraceable, and so that uh, kind of negated all possibility of them following up. And so they said that conversation was maybe the most constructive they'd had because the the speaker felt unfettered by the consequences of what he might say. So did the person on the other end, the counselor, let's call them that, know it was through a proxy? Yes, because uh, they they weren't able to they weren't able to see where the call was coming from, and I actually haven't done that. But it struck me as a possibility. Like when I need to connect and I want to have these types of conversations, maybe find something that masks my number and call one of those hotlines and hope to get someone who's who's competent oh. to be able to, to have that kind of conversation. Yeah, the question is who stays ahead, technology or the people that seem to be so obsessed <laughs> with trying to find people who, God forbid even hint at, 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 at harming themselves and we must do what we do, which is so often harmful and dangerous and even fatal. It's an arms race. It's an arms race. Curious, how many people in the world know that we're having this conversation? Four, you, myself, uh, my partner, and another. I'm always curious, like, is it a secret or do people let people know? I, it obviously varies. How many suicide attempts, however you're defining that, do you have in your, in your life? Uh, one. Okay. And when was that one? About 20 years ago. Oh, and how old are you? As of two days ago, I'm 40. All right. So when you were about 20, yeah, yeah. about half your life ago, you attempted suicide. How do we start that conversation? Because that's always tricky. And I'll let you decide how and where that begins. Yeah, I'd been living with a lot of dark material in my head for, for about eight years. Um, really struggled through it. Just had, had a miserable time when I guess a confluence of stressors and internal circumstances uh, hit, hit a breaking point and, and I was very tired. I just decided, you know, I'm, I've, I've had enough. Hmm. Um, and it wasn't actually spontaneous. I was like, you know, in a week, in a week, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end my life. And mm-hmm. I conducted my affairs very much as I normally did, but it was almost better. Uh, I had a very kind of light and unattached week. Because that thing was there for you waiting when you wanted to do it. Possibly, yeah. And possibly because the consequences of my actions for that week didn't seem to matter, right? So I just didn't have to be concerned about the same types of things. Right. Question though, once you decided that was a real possibility, let's say that next week, what stopped you from just doing it right at that moment? Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, I think that it's really difficult to, I think that week probably was necessary as preparation time. It takes a lot to overcome our 
our survival machinery, right? Mm, I think um, so. Perhaps I'm, you know, I, I lack a certain courage uh, to, to be spontaneous with it. But I, yeah, I think I really required that kind of preparation time. Well, I, I wouldn't use that word. I would use a, a different word, but you don't lack courage in my mind, but I'm not here to blow smoke up your ass. We, we, don't, we don't have the time, unfortunately, to get into all the details of your childhood, and you probably don't want to, but you did specifically <laughs> say from 12 to 20 was hard. What, what I'm curious about is a couple things. Like when you say hard, one, what does that mean? And then two, as, as best you can recall, how did you deal or cope with that hardness? Not particularly well. When I say hard, I mean, you know, just there was, mm, I, I had an experience and it wasn't an external experience. It was like, I had a thought when I was 12 and it was just this thought like, oh, I'm going to die one day. Um, and this is maybe too early to have that thought or whatever it was. Like I wasn't emotionally defended from staring mortality straight in the face. Um, and so the implications of this struck me as very immediately relevant um, I, I kind of lived in, in in terror and in attempting to, uh, I guess, connect with people about, hey, you know, I'm, I'm having these thoughts or this experience or this revelation that everybody seems to conduct their lives uh, keeping at arm's distance or relegating to the realm of irrelevance because it's at, at a later point. Um, yeah, in attempting to connect with people and share these perspectives, I... I got a lot of incomprehension. I got a lot of, you know, you're, you're looking at the wrong things. There's something, there's something wrong with you. Don't, uh, don't spend time thinking about those things. Pro probably good advice, probably adaptive advice, but not really an option for a mind like mine. We, we, we could argue and debate over semantics of whether that was good advice or not, but, uh, and we may not agree. We can hopefully assume some of them were at least at a minimum well-intentioned. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and, and also you're a pretty young guy. So sometimes some of the language isn't even there yet to put those, at least for me, it, you know, 13, 14, 15, I don't even know how, how I would communicate some of that stuff if I chose to, you know? Right. Um, not that it's easy now. Yeah, I probably didn't do the best job in, in articulating my experience. Also, having a lot of, uh, I guess, self-consciousness at that age, I was probably fairly guarded in my attempt to do so. Yeah, for understandable reasons. Do you remember anybody, and I know it's been some years, anybody who actually responded when you shared with them in, a, in an especially empathetic way? Mm, no, I don't. Not, not one. Because you would. I, I'm pretty sure you would. It's not common. Uh, yeah, like five years later, I remember uh, moving to a different town and there being uh, someone that I formed an alliance, a, a friendship with, and they responded with a version of empathy. Yeah. Why? So at 12 to 20, it's going, and then I know we're going to come to 20. And with your permission, we'll talk about that day and what happened to, at least to some degree, as much as you want to share. When do you recall the first ideas of suicide, not just existentially, philosophically, but Bryce maybe wanting to end his own life? Probably shortly after after that realization. So, so it, was, it was 12 or 13. Like junior high school type age. Yeah. Once you have that idea and you'd mentioned, hey, we do have a, a rather, for most people, robust, I suppose, uh, survival mechanism. You know, we don't, it's not easy to off ourselves, <laughs> but what stops you all those years from doing it? Do you have any idea? Uh, ambivalence. There's uh, a desire to not exist and a desire to kind of escape the pain, but there's also vestiges of hope that kind of fluctuate. You know, there's times where it's like, oh, I can see a future for myself that I don't experience these things or experience less of them. And then there's other times where I absolutely don't. And so like, recognizing that I do fluctuate through those um, those cycles and realizing that some of the dark times are fairly transient, even if they, they endure for longer than I would like, gives me a sense that, yes, I will come out of this at least temporarily. 
Which is a rather, I don't know, for lack of a better word, mature level of awareness at that age. Because even for me now, sometimes when I'm in it, I don't think it's going to stop ever. And it will until it doesn't. So to know at such a young age, this is not necessarily permanent. Tomorrow or next week, I'll feel a little differently and won't be as... Yeah. It wasn't consistent, you know, uh, at my best moments. I, I yeah. have that awareness, but often, yeah, it was out of my grasp. Yeah. You're, you're a teenager and then you reach the uh, first age out of teenage years. Look at my math here, uh, 20. And uh, that is the age in which you attempt to take your life. So how, 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 how can we talk about that? What you know, We generally sort of talked about what led up to it, but in those preceding hours, days, perhaps even weeks, what's going on that leads up to that moment? I think... I was experiencing one of my periods of depression, but there was also stressors. I think I was in a, you know, a school program that was going well, but was ultimately out of stress. I think there was relationship stress. I think it was the second relationship in my life. And now that I say that, it, I must have been 21 or 22. And yeah, that went um, that went kind of south. And then there was these uh, thoughts of, well, uh, this is probably as good a time as any, and I can almost use these uh, I guess, negative experiences as fuel. Like I know it's going to be difficult. So I'll use this as motivation to kind of get me there. And then at some point you have that moment where, if I remember correctly, it's next week, I'm going to do this thing. Yeah. And that's when you're about 21, 22. I guess it doesn't really matter exact age. And you're in, you're in Canada. You're in Western Canada at the time. I am. Yeah. Is it, is it cold or warm? I don't know why I want to know. I don't even remember what season. I remember it being cloudy um, a fair bit. So I'm going to guess we're, we're fall. <laughs> yes, that's yeah. fine. No one gives a shit. I just ask weird questions. Because <laughs> my, I don't know what it is. I have a very, I guess, I guess I really visualize things. So I'm imagining you there and what's around. Blah blah blah. Well, I do think it's a relevant question because I, I I noticed that for myself and probably a lot of other people, yeah, weather and light are, are uh, usually impactful. Oh yeah. My darkest times are always in the winter. I mean, I live in North Carolina, which is generally mild, but I'm in a part of Mexico now where it's, you know, dry, average 70 and big sun and it it helps. No doubt. I'm envious of folks in the (laughs) States. Like you get, you get the best uh, geography, you get the best climate. Yeah, but the politics are so so bad that it it fucks all that other shit up. Um, Yeah, exactly. So that day, um, you make a decision, you wake up and you're like, this is the day or was it a little different? Yeah, the, the day of, I, I'm like, this is the day. Walk me through that day, if you would. Oh, yeah, the, the memories are a little fuzzy. I remember sure. I get up, I remember. So I, I think my, my grandpa died roughly when I was, you know, 14, 15 range. I'd inherited several shotguns. Um, they, they weren't in my care. Uh, so, so during, during the week, uh, I, I acquired one that was in my dad's care. I brought it to my high house. Um, there, there was a family farm that was empty. Um, so that day I gathered the shotgun I took it to the farm. I'm not, I'm not a gun person. I don't like guns. I'm kind of scared of guns. I loaded, uh, a cartridge. I remember that I had three shotguns. I don't even remember which one it was, but I think it might've been the lever action. Yeah, I loaded a, a cartridge. Uh, I, I put it to my shoulder and I shot it out into the uh, the cranberry field just hmm. to see, you know. Probably damaged a few cranberries, but hey. Yeah, yeah, and and my ears because damn, that was loud. In this, I know it might. Was it more tunnel vision at this point, or are there little parts of you that are thinking doubt or? Forgive me for asking, but what are my what's my family or friends gonna think? Who's gonna find me? That or is it just tunnel all the way? So I, I had doubts. They weren't necessarily involving friends or family because I kind of, I don't know. I, I don't 
necessarily subscribe to the notion of our actions should be dictated by the expectations of others exclusively. I think there's something you know, sure. that promotes sure. social cohesion in that. But at the same time, I think that at some point, people who are supportive of your best interests yeah, can sometimes impede you fulfilling your best interests with their, with their own interests if they contradict them. Anyways, I, I was having doubts, but they were mostly, mostly personal doubts. So you did the test shot. I don't know. Are you in a barn or something? I'm sitting on the um, patio of a mobile home. Okay. Sitting in front of front of one of the bogs. All right, and you've done the test shot, and it's loud, and the gun is loaded. Uh, so I put the put the butt of the the gun on the ground, and then I put the the barrel under my my neck, and then I have a little piece of metal that I bent in a curve to depress the trigger. You know, work myself up to it, and I jam the the trigger down. And there's some sort of click. Uh, I don't know if it's a uh, it's a defective cartridge or a jam or whatever. I take the gun. I go back to the uh, trailer to to get another cartridge. I don't know if I'm going to do it again because that took so much courage. I'm already exhausted. But then a, a police car comes up and there I am holding a gun. They get out of the car and say, like, would you get on the ground? And so I, I comply. I, I put the gun on the ground and I lay down and they take me away. Number one. So the gun doesn't go off. Duh. Okay. Do you wish it had gone off as we speak? Yeah, I do. Yeah. So as we speak, almost 20 years later, you wish that gun had gone off and presumably ended your life. I do. Okay. When the police come, is that a coincidence? Do you have any idea what that was about? As I said, the relationship had, had ended. I brought the gun to the house that we shared, which is probably very uh, irresponsible of me. But they noticed and they, they took issue. And I said, you know, the, the, gun, the gun will be gone in, in a couple of days. I'll, I'll get it out of here. And then I did. And I guess uh, they'd noted that I took off early that morning and they knew that I was in a dark space. So I'm assuming that uh, that, that partner that I'd recently broken up with called. You know, I'm, I'm making some assumptions here, but I'm assuming that they would have called my, my parents. Um, and I'm assuming that uh, they would have said, you know, uh, your offspring is suicidal um, and would have looked for where I might have gone. And mm-hmm. they may have given them the farm address. Uh, do you think you would have tried again that day if they don't come? I don't know. When I was walking back to the um, tool shed to, to find another cartridge, that was that was in my mind. Like, do I have the courage to do that again or should I call it quits? Is that the word? You I mean your word? Is that the word courage? Is that it? Uh, I don't know a better word. Like, it's it's difficult, right? It's doing something that's very scary. So I, I'm open to another word. Don't got one. Maybe I'm just wondering. Putting too positive a spin on something that's uh, yeah, it's a little socially taboo. To I was almost going in the other direction, actually. How so? Like a word that's even stronger than courage, because it's so hard to do. So yeah, sure, we can use courage as a word, but I'm almost like it's, it's almost even a little more than that, but I just don't have enough of a vocabulary. I think France has more words. Maybe we should do it in French. Do you want to do this in French? <laughs> no. If you've heard the podcast, there's a lot of conversations about how people respond, particularly law enforcement, hospitalization. So would you be comfortable running through what happens the moment they put you on the ground? Sure. Uh, they, they put me in the cop car. Um, they take me off. I don't remember where they take me to. Uh, I end up in uh, the psych ward for a little bit. I, you know, I do listen to the podcast. Uh, a lot of people have had bad experiences. Mine, mine was neutral, you know. I empathize with a lot of people's bad experiences. There's yelling and screaming, and it's not the most peaceful place. And at the same time, it was kind of a peaceful place for me because decisions were taken out of my hand. I didn't yeah. love my experience, but I loved not having to, uh, I guess, conduct my affairs or take authorship over conducting my affairs. It was it was relaxing, even if even if it was somewhat unpleasant. I think I stuck in there four days, and then they they let me out. 
Do they play with your meds? Do they give you meds? Do they give you therapy? Do they do stupid shit, smart shit? What happened? Or was it just rest? Uh, it was just just rest. I don't think I don't think meds were involved at that point. I think it was just like observation period. Um, mm-hmm. I think I present very well even when I'm doing terribly. That's a and skill so, we learn, don't we? Possibly, yeah. I mean, I I feel like I'm zero to sixty. I'm either as I am talking to you now, or I'm crying. Mm. Uh, and very little in between. Yeah. Did you ever get diagnosed with something you agree with? Um, unipolar depression, major depressive disorder. Mm-hmm. You agree? Yeah, I do. Any kind of treatment then or now? I've tried the medications. I've tried some forms of um, therapy and counseling, mostly to no avail. I mean, medications have worked temporarily. And then sometimes they take me into really interesting and not pleasant territory. Therapy and counseling has mostly not been effective. Yeah, just have a tough time connecting with or finding ones that have the right uh, modalities to meet my needs. For sure. Not to group everyone together, you know, police officers and hospital staff and others in that time. And I know it's a while ago uh, where you met with acceptance, empathy, uh, anger, uh, a mix of things. It felt very institutional, you know, like it seems like there was no attitude towards me. Almost worse in a way, like so transactional. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Mm. Like you just get him in, do some paperwork. They'll hit the four day mark. He'll get released. And of course, the question then is, does your life magically get better? Because you just try to end your life. It didn't work. You spend four days in a hospital. You're going back to presumably the same home, uh, the same people the same life, whether that's jobs or, or whatever else you, how you spend your days. So I'm going to assume knowing that you have not tried again, that the last close to 20 years has been a roller coaster. Yeah, absolutely. Roller coaster. Excellent word. And part of that roller coaster more recently was, was reaching out and trying to find some connection with suicide. So I assume, and I don't know when that was exactly and how recent that was that the roller coaster of not more recently was on the Let's call it the downside, if you want to use that word. Sure. Yeah. Almost every winter, I go into a, a darker place for a while. But never try it again. How often do you think about it in the last 18, 20 years? Oh, every day. You know, there's some periods where it's like all I can think about every day. There's some times where I just think about it, you know, like, oh, that's kind of wish that would have worked. But yeah, it, it's kind of like the insistence that uh, mm. insistence and fre- frequency of that very. That's amazing. You think about it every day and you haven't done it. It's hard. There's a lot of distance between thinking about it and, and making a an earnest effort. Sure. I'm always wary to compare in any sense. I talked to somebody yesterday and it's in some ways similar though, every day. I said every single day. And it's, it had been not quite as many years, but a decade plus every day in some form, she says, I think about it. I said, everyone. She goes, well, there was one day, it was one three-day rafting trip where I don't think I thought about it. And then she checks herself and says, no, 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 no. Them too. <laughs> yeah. It was like, all right, even on an awesome rafting trip, you're still, it's still seeping in. She's like, yeah. And I said, you think it'll ever end? Probably not. That, that's part of it, right? Like if I'm doing particularly well, there's still the well-worn grooves of the thought patterns. The precedent of history has a lot of weight. Yes. I'm curious. Um, what What kind of work do you do? If you work, I shouldn't be presumptuous. Right. I mean, nominally, I, I'm employed, but I've taken the year off to, to do schooling. Um, so the, the work I did, I last did 
was in another territory. Um, I did uh, work as a health promotion coordinator and a frontline support worker at an addiction center. And now you're going to school for what? I'm doing my uh, master's of public administration. Wanted to get into environmental policy. Mm, Very cool. Do you think you're 40 now? Happy birthday, belated. Thank you. You think you'll make it, let's use the number to 50? You know, if if I look back, (laughs) I've I've made it 20 years since the attempt. I probably will. Did you ever find another relationship? Yeah, several. All right. And you said you have a partner now, because I think doing this shit alone is impossible. Yeah, that is, I think, one of the major factors is I, I do have a partner, which is which is wonderful. But otherwise, um, isolation is a very intense and salient experience for me always. Yeah. Part yeah, of the major so. depressive order is um, like anhedonia and inability to experience connection. So yeah. that kind of stacks the odds against me. I'm going to go back again. I skip around sometimes, but what, 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 what's it like to intentionally plan to take your life, do it, and then you're alive? Are there words for that feeling? I don't know that it's a single feeling. It's, it's, a, it's a mix of feelings and sometimes a, a cycling of feelings. There's you know, oh, frustration, there's disappointment, there's what's next. Then there's the moments where you have good experiences. Like, I, I guess this is nice to stick around for. So it's the whole mix of life. Vestiges of hope was something you used earlier, wording. Vestiges of hope. How many people in the world, and let's exclude you know, people in the hospital who were treating you know about that day uh, near the cranberry field? Um, Gonna say like fifteen. Kind of okay. Range. So you've you've shared it with some. It's been a lot of years, so probably come up yeah. a few times in conversations with people. I yeah, I'm always curious how people respond and and deal with this because you know there's just such a broad array of I don't know stuff they do and say stuff that falls under the sort of supportive, helpful, useful, empathetic category, and then obviously the opposite. So yeah, I don't know. There's no question there. It's just me talking. <laughs> Let's go back for a moment, if we can, to that day. You wish the gun had gone off. Yeah. I mean, if the gun had gone off, I wish that it would have successfully and uh, shortly ended my life. You know, I would not have preferred the gun to go off. One of, one of my biggest fears, and at, at the time, if I had to do it again, I would not use a gun. But one of my biggest fears is that, like, even if it does go somewhat well, that the moments preceding death are horribly unpleasant. Mm-hmm. You know, like if, if I had if I had my choice, I would just like be at ground zero for a nuclear explosion, just like existing one minute, not existing the next. Absolutely. You don't want um, to have any, like, yeah, there's no consciousness before moments, that whole thing. Exactly. Yeah. Just skip the, skip the suffering altogether. Mm. Tough question here. And that is why I'm wondering why it is that you wish the gun had gone off. No, I think it's a reasonable question. And I think it's a fairly simple one to answer. I think since that point, my suffering has vastly exceeded whatever its antonym might be. I don't think that I've had a day, even in my good times, where I don't regret my life. And people around you know that. I'm not close to many people. The ones I'm close to tend to know that. And those are the ones you can talk to? To a degree, yeah. To a degree, right. I was going to ask, even them, are there certain things, sometimes the the S word where you can't kind of talk about it? Even them? Even, Even them. Yeah. I mean, I can talk about it in certain ways. It's, it's difficult to <laughs> seek empathy from someone who likes life in understanding why I might not want to be here. It's difficult to seek empathy, yes. And my where my brain goes to is on them. I have little empathy, and this is something I'm working on. Your life is good. I get you can't get it because your life is, quote, good. That's not an excuse for not for lack of empathy, but... 
That's just me on my own little soapbox and no one gives a shit, Bryce. Yeah, I'm never going to be pregnant. It doesn't mean I can't have empathy for uh, a woman's being in labor pains. Bad example, but you know what I mean? Sure, sure. Yeah, you don't necessarily have to occupy that position to understand someone's feelings in a position that's not your own. Pain is pain. Pain is pain. And and I think I think one of the things that um, is maybe difficult difficult to empathize with is the absence of hope, right? Like I don't know that many people live very aware of the imminence of the mortality. Like intellectually, they do. Everybody knows they're going to die. But I think that we all kind of live in some way, like emotionally denying that fact. Yeah, and and when people are very, uh, I guess, uh, oriented to uh, life. You're working. You got a family. You got a hobby or two. You da 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 da. Sure. You got to fix the fucking car. Yeah, man. I mean, most time, <laughs> generally speaking, though, when they get sick or very sick, physical, or mental, otherwise, that changes. But that's kind of us saying you got to go through it, which kind of goes against what I just said about you can always have empathy. Yes, but going through it changes it some, doesn't it? Well, I, yes, it does change it, but it doesn't change it in reliable ways. Like depending on where pe- where people are in life and what's led them up to whatever they go through, they're going to respond to what they're going through very differently. So them going through something is not necessarily going to lead them to the same place that I that I arrived at when I went through something. Yeah. Do you think that you are um, when when and I know you said you don't talk to a lot of people about this. Don't have a huge group of uh, of friends, but if and when the conversation comes up with someone else in your life who's in some kind of pain or suffering, are you are you empathetic? I think so. Yeah. I mean, professionally, I've kind of had to work on that mask. And then unprofessionally until until recently, you know, uh, I used to be on some online forums and uh, would talk to people who were in positions similar to mine, who were maybe earnestly attempting to assess whether their their lives were worth continuing or not. Um, I found it very difficult to engage because I didn't really know, uh, I guess, where I stood legally in those. And I didn't know how to show up authentically in a society that kind of demonizes what's potentially in people's best interests. Like our, our medical model is based around pathologizing suicidality. And I, for the most part, I think that's like a cautious stance, but I think it also leaves people who maybe it is in their best interest to die in a very lonely place. What do you mean? I think I know what you mean, but when you say it's modeled after the pathologizing it, can you use simpler words? Cause I'm not so smart. In general, if you're suicidal, people think there's something wrong with you. Ah, I don't always think that's the case. I think that's usually the case. I don't think that's always the case. I think that sometimes people who are suicidal have uh, arrived at their suicidality through a fairly measured and rational progression of thoughts. Mm. Mm. Can we can we go one step further? And you may have heard this in a prior podcast. Whose fucking business is it to tell me anything about what I do in my life? That's a sticky question for me. You know, uh, I acknowledge there are things about me that. Uh, an outside observer would probably know better than me. You know, I, I know that it's popular to say like we're the experts in our own experience, but frankly, if if I've got a heart problem, I'm going to a surgeon. I'm not going to try yep. to fix it myself. Yep. But you have a choice to go to a heart problem, heart, heart surgeon, or not. You have sure. the choice, or try to do some alternative thing in Mexico or Belize. I don't know, but you have the <laughs> choice. And I, and I'm I, I am pushing back some, not necessarily against you, against more sort of the common narrative. Everything is measured in like liability terms, it seems. And I'm sure it's similar to Canada. And I don't know if there's a way around that, but it's just an ineffective model. And I don't know if that's the right way to frame it. It just seems like a strange, bizarre, ineffective, and perhaps cruel way of not dealing with everything in the world. I understand like car insurance, 
maybe that's a good model. Yeah, I think I think it depends on your measurement because I think it's like fairly effective for the majority of people. I think there are just people it doesn't fit for. It, it's like a clumsy model. Right, the outliers. The outliers. But there's a lot of them. It's, it's not like 0.001%. It, it, it's more. You know, it's always the numbers are a lot higher than we think. And I'm not saying that to be dramatic or sensationalized. It's fact. I, I do think we're starting to see movement in that direction. Like we're, we're starting to see changes in legislation that accommodate that, right? Like March of this year, we're going to see medical assistance and dying laws change in Canada to include people who suffer from mental illnesses um, without a terminal diagnosis. A lot. Of, yeah. So it, I'm sure in the first iteration, which will probably be several years long, right. There'll be 23 doctors you have to sign off on, but it's, but it's, it is progress. It is progress. Yeah. Are there any specific myths around any of the stuff that you want to uh, dispel? Not so much personally. I know that uh, there are a lot of myths around suicide. I think that, uh, oh, who, who is the researcher? Thomas Joyner wrote, wrote, wrote a book about myths around suicide. He actually wrote a couple of books and both of them included myths. But yeah, one of the ones that sticks out in my mind of, of his is that um, people kind of stick with their their method of choice. I, I guess the myth would be like, you know, if people want to commit suicide, they'll find a way. Well, I, I think that studies show that if you restrict means of preference, then people won't find another way. Uh, you know, Putting up the guards on the, uh, the Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah, you don't see you don't see um, their stats and the different methods uh, shoot up when you do that. My intuition would have said otherwise, so I'm glad to be wrong. My intuition might have as well. I I think the way he frames it is something like uh, competence with the means and access to the means are two predictors. Interesting way. Interesting, interesting, interesting. You've listened to the podcast some. Yep. Is there a question, a comment, a kind of question you think I should consistently be asking that I'm not? Oh, that is a good question. I I wish I'd had time to think about that. Not off the top you of my can. head, but you know. Yeah, please. Yeah. Uh, any any other thoughts, uh, or questions, comments, ideas you want to share about any of this stuff before we get back to our super exciting lives? <laughs> None that come to mind. No, I think this has been a, a very valuable podcast for me to have access to. Uh, I imagine others would, would feel very similarly. So I, I hope you keep getting uh, participants and keep doing what you're doing. I will keep both, I think, for sure. And thank you again, because I know it's not necessarily an easy thing to do. And so I appreciate your candor and uh, and courage. All right, Bryce, thanks again, my man. I'll talk to you soon. And again, I really appreciate it. You have a good one. Take care. As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support. And special thanks to Bryce out in British Columbia. Thank you, Bryce. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com on Facebook or Twitter at SuicideNoted. And again, a friendly reminder to check the show notes. You can learn about all kinds of other things we're involved in, ways you can participate, volunteer, learn more about our programs and presentations. Join us on the Signal app if that is your jam to continue these conversations. And of course, membership. Check it out if you'd like, and regardless of how you're involved, we really appreciate you. And that is all for episode number 153. Stay strong, do the best you can. I'll talk to you soon.